0: I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. My guest on this episode is Andre Menezes, the co-founder and CEO of NextGen, the company that makes Tyndall, a juicy plant-based chicken that offers mouth-watering taste, texture and versatility. NextGen is a Singapore-based food tech company with a mission to create delicious and satisfying food products, all with the power of plants. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Andre Menezes. Andre Menezes from Next Gen Foods. Thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Neil. It's really great to be here with you.
0: So, Andre, let's start with how did you get uh, your start in the food industry itself? I know you've been involved in a number of capacities. Some of it involves uh, the poultry industry itself, but also plant based. Can you give us a brief background about your work experience in food prior to this company?
1: Absolutely. Uh, both Timo and myself, when we co- found, prior to co-founding co- uh Foods, uh, we had experience in the meat and plant-based industry before. Uh, in Timo's case, he's a third-generation butcher family <laughs> doing schnitzels in Germany. And uh, similarly to myself, he loved the way meat tastes and all the nutritional aspects of it, the taste, the texture. But he doesn't like the way meat is produced, basically animal farming. So he started his first venture, Like Meat. Brought it from being a zero company to an exit in 2020. That's from Timo's side. And as for myself, um, I went to, after a a journey with investment fund uh, Tarpon in Brazil, I went to work with BRF, which was one of their portfolio companies, and it is the largest poultry exporter in the world. That was a journey of about seven years, out of which half of it in Brazil, working with uh, exports upstream. Uh, production from farm to port, let's say, and then the rest of it in Singapore, bringing products into Singapore, uh, primarily meat, processing them, serving food services retail. Uh, as part of that journey in the distribution business, uh, I got passionate involved at uh, the plant-based as well. I started bringing in many products and brands to, to Singapore in the plant-based food space, um, from like meat products from Timo to Impossible Foods, Impossible Burger. I was one of the distributors there. So. Um, that's how I got connected in the plant phase and got passionate about it in the first place.
0: So you were uh, one of the first distributors in Asia to bring some of the prominent plant-based American plant-based brands to the east. What specifically got you curious slash excited about the market opportunity for plant-based uh, at that time?
1: Um, it's a combination of factors. I guess uh, number one, as an engineer, I always uh, look at systems efficiency. And as I started learning about the, the meat industry, uh, you know, with my background on investment and the investment thesis that we had, and I started looking at the system efficiency of animal farming in general, I realized that it's a business that's not sustainable uh, as a business and obviously from an environmental perspective as well. And that got me thinking as a business before if meat is not the answer for the next few decades, what is then the way, right? And, and, and for meat lovers to basically be convinced that there is an alternative at all, um, we would have to develop as humanity, as society, products that would solve for all the craves, culturally and aspirations, um, without the, the the negative impacts and, and, and side effects from from animal farming. That's how I started looking at it, and I did literally travel the world and I met every single company in the space, from Europe, from the US, from from Asia, and selected a few of them to bring to Singapore, yes.
0: And and I guess you met Timo as part of that work you were doing uh, as a distributor in Singapore. Timo, you mentioned started, is your co-founder, started a company called Like Meat uh, in Germany. Um, and w- how did you both start? T- working together on this idea. G- tell me the the beginning of NextGen and, and how did that sort of come about?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, that's how we met indeed. And uh, as part of the, you know, assessing the best brands and products around the world, it was very clear to me that they had the ability to produce um, um, great fibers and products and they were a successful case in Germany with retail-specific products. Um, but... You know, from my perspective, I was um, at the edge of really willing to drop my career. It was a very successful career within the meat industry, but I was really looking at how to dedicate 100% of myself to this mission and saying, like, if you really believe that this is the future, I should not be then, you know, working 99% of my time with meat and 1% with what I loved, which was plant-based. Therefore, I decided to just quit and um, start something new in plant-based, and serendipity probably. Uh, Timo was exiting his first venture, um, and he had a view of starting a new global player using everything he has learned in his journey in terms of, you know, upstream development of products, technologies, supplies, and all that, connected with someone like me in this case. And that's that's how he started it with who had experience doing global business at scale in multi-geographies, uh, developing global brands. And, um, and, and and doing food distribution as well so it was a it was a really great combination um, probably Serendipity put us together in Singapore uh, at that moment he was exiting his business I was quitting my previous job and uh, it was a perfect combination for us to start next yeah and food.
0: what year was that
1: and that was in uh, Early 2020, uh, so wow. <laughs> it hasn't been two years. <laughs> okay,
0: all right, so, so that, is, that is an interesting fact. So it's early 2020, we all know what was happening early 2020, um, and you are at this point thinking about potentially starting a new venture, 100% focused on uh, the plant-based space. Now, given the the knowledge that you had in 2020 about what had transpired uh, in the plant-based space over the past, you know, five to 10 years with Beyond and Impossible, what was your sort of thesis around what next gen was going to be and how was it going to be different from what had previously come? And I, the reason I ask that question is because a lot of people now in 2021, or last year for that matter, or in the last few years... Feel like they missed out on the on the first wave of uh, of plant based, right? Or the or the new wave of plant based with Beyond Impossible, Just Egg, and a few other companies, and are now looking to cell based or fermentation and other new technologies as the potential future. Why did you settle on plant based? What was the thinking around it, and what what did you have in mind about what could be done differently that hasn't been done already?
1: Cool. Very good point. I think there are a few a few components to to your to your question. I guess the first one of them is that the we recognize that pioneers like the ones you said, which includes Timo himself, but also the likes of Beyond and Impossible, just Eggs uh, Oatly. Uh, these companies they have really shown and educated people like me and like many others that. Uh, yes, it's okay. You, you love meat. You don't want to give up that. You don't really like the way it's produced. There is a way of making it, you know, through the use of technology and sometimes technologies that are already available for a long time, but just being able to use the technology to produce the right taste, texture, view, you know, nutritional values and everything you would expect from meat uh, without the animal farming being involved as a process. I would say that this was the, the role that those Pioneers have successfully uh, executed last decades, last decade, and we, myself personally, and we as a company, we're very thankful that that has happened. So um, we don't see any of them as our competitors. Truly and genuinely, we admire their work. I think they're mission-aligned companies that have really shown um, a generation of uh, entrepreneurs who are really on a fight to 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 improve the food system. Uh, and many of them are actually due to the great work that those guys have done last decades in terms of products and communication education. From our perspectives, there were a few angles that uh, we still had to do more as a society, and this is where NextGen Foods fits, right? To start with, um, most of the products that were doing beef burgers, and mm-hmm. by whatever reason, right, I don't even want to get into which reasons, but, I mean, coming from the U.S. and beef being such a terrible carbon footprint, um, and, you know, it, it's, it just makes sense, and you know beef burgers, and they develop that, and that's great, right? Um, but no one else has really donated or created a household name for real uh, other categories such as chicken, fish, pork, or um, you know other products. And uh, or, I mean, we had such developments in some of the dairy categories. For example, oat milk, we have obviously the dominant players around growing very well, but we. In terms of meat, uh, it is still a huge right space and uh, that has not been developed. So we, we believe that we have a, a role to play in that space and creating that. So category-wise, um, you know, we believe that that's possible to, to achieve from a technology, from, um, you know, education perspective, from a market development, but no one has addressed chicken the way we thought we could. And that's what we're starting with Tindo, right? That's number one. But also um, we don't stop there. I think. From what we're seeing from other companies, some of them really struggle to grow. Uh, They have tech abilities to develop the product and whatever else. But um, running a global food business is a different game. And uh, we believe that with our combined experience in the team, we could really develop an innovative business model that would allow us to accelerate our mission and deliver more on it uh, by being truly global from day one and scaling up uh, in very unusual ways. And that's a bit of what we're seeing right now. We are only seven months after launch and we're already like in Singapore, Hong Kong, Macau, Kuala Lumpur, for Dubai, Abu Dhabi and doing some sneak peeks here in the US. And it won't take long until we are in Europe and, and other places. That's a result of our innovative business model.
0: Yeah, and before I get into the product Tindal itself, and I'd love to learn more about that, but before we get into that, I do want to pick your brain a bit on this uh, this point you just mentioned around Looking at what a global food company needs to be, and sort of rethinking it in a in a way from the ground up, which seems like a nice thing to say. But I, I the little I learned about the food, in, the little I've learned about the food industry, I've realized that as hard as you may try to think from a first principles standpoint. Eventually, you're stuck with dealing with, uh, you know, distributors and brokers and the same old archaic system that will slow down whatever pace of expansion that you might have. I did read one point about how you've set up the company, and I, or maybe you said this in a in another interview, but about the fact that you don't actually do your own manufacturing, which you know, and that's nothing new in that sense. But you almost flipped it by saying that your focus is 100% on R and D and brand. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Maybe that's changed. Maybe that's still the same.
1: No, it's the same, and it's part of us. Um, you know, our intention of being global from day one and being able to to develop. Um, basically, our our thinking was to decrypt best practices from every single sector, including the meat industry, including food distribution, including technology uh, software companies and understand what were the success factors for each one of them to grow or you know, effects that could be just hindering their growth as well. And um, we looked a lot at technology companies and many people would tell us that, you know we cannot compare ourselves to a technology company because they don't have a physical goods layer moving across I said, fine, I understand, but um, they still have to set up their entire infrastructure and user base and payment and collection and taxes and whatever it is in different countries and languages and copyrights, right? So um, I do respect a lot the, the complexities that, you know, business like Netflix or Spotify that they go through. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's easy at all to get that done. So, uh, we know, study tech in details to understand and decrypt what is it that we can learn from those guys? What is it that eventually we cannot do just like they do because of the physical layer of, uh, of goods moving around? And we have designed a business model that's pretty much IP-focused. And I say IP-focused, as you said correctly, like we develop sources, ingredients, the recipes, processes, um, and we develop and communicate the brand and we manage our business networks through partners. But we do not touch the physical layer of goods, right? So we do not produce it. We do not distribute it on trucks. We don't do any of that. We work with partners um, to do all that. So the way this was designed was so for scale and expansion. Uh, Having run factories before in my life, both myself and Timo, we do understand that if we have chosen that path, we would be probably spending time right now as we're talking instead of expanding into around the world, we would be like, how are we going to get people uh, hired for the factory? How are we going to make sure we have all the certificates? How we make sure that QC, QA, all of that is being well addressed? And we believe that partnering with experts in each one of those areas will give us all of that while we can still add significant value on the IP portion for us to have a sustainable business operating just as a brain and not uh, so much as operational arms. That's how we develop. All of it is developed for scale, uh, for scaling up fast. We believe we are on the verge of transformation and the mission is very urgent. Uh, we, we thought that nothing is more important for us than scale and being able to do it globally. That's why we have done it this way.
0: Interesting. And so when you, um, you know, most companies will will say they want to scale and then, uh, but then also find, especially in the plan based space, that their product is so unique or is so uh, uniquely formulated that co-manufacturers just don't do the job for them in the long run and so there's this there's this natural tendency to want to set up your own manufacturing facility to do things on your own to have control over the process and I don't know how much of that is reality or it's just this romanticized vision of like you need to you need to control everything and I think you're right it does slow things down because I've heard nightmare stories of companies buying all the equipment, getting the space, but they can't produce the products because they've never done it before themselves, right? So it is the flip side to it. So how do you able to control the uniqueness of, and maybe we can now get into your product a little bit, but the uniqueness of your product and then at the same time be able to control quality and the manufacturing process and do it at scale?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you, you're absolutely right on the comment. And I, I, I'm a car guy, right? So I always like to make the, the, the parallel to, I mean, someone could start, could want to start a, a Formula One team, right? And they could get all the money in the world. They could buy all the parts. They could ship it in a container. But if you don't have the engineers, the mechanics and stuff, even if you have the container at the tra- on the track, you're not going to even be able to put it together. And even if you put it together, you're not going to be able to start it. And if you even if you start it, if you don't have a great pilot, a driver, a race driver, it, you're not going to com- be able to complete a lap, right? So uh, that's the, the the beauty of part that we have incorporated into a business model, into our people strategy. We really bring people from from the food industry and um, people who has done like international global supply chain, who understands like label regulations, co-manufacturing, uh, QA, QC certifications, and, uh, you know, halal uh, certifications for different countries and label and, you know, compliance. And and that's um, that's a shortfall that we have seen in the industry. People who, uh, to the best of their abilities, they have you know their scientists and their R&D teams developing great products, the great tasting products. But from developing great tasting products, which is basically that idea of you know you, you have all the parts of a car, but you know not being able to run on a racetrack, uh, it's very common. And uh, we brought in people knowing all of that. We brought in people and ourselves as well. We have been well-versed into all of those elements that i described uh we have brought in people who allow us to navigate all of those complexities very well so that's uh, a bit of our people strategy behind it and and that allows us to, to together with our business model design having people with the right knowledge we can scale things pretty quickly but to your point uh there is a false dilemma in terms of uh two things one uh quality control like i would I would like to be able to say that you know if I do things myself, I'm better than anyone else doing for me. But that's not true. Like That's why I have a team and I delegate, because they can do better than I can. And that's the same thing for if I hire a company that's specialized in production, I can guarantee you that they will be doing a better job than I do. They will be doing a better, um, you know, they have decades of experience sometimes and they understand exactly what it means to control um, they are purchasing, their storage, their stock control, their handling, the you know traceability, all of those certifications. Which, if you're building something from scratch, it is a massive uplift. Uh, you know, it's it's, it's heavy lifting to get it done. And I've done that before in my life. It's not um, it's not overnight. And we believe that working with experts uh, usually leads to a better result, right? And then it comes to how do we protect our IP? How do we make sure no one is copying? There are ways to do that. We have companies that are widely known for being great at doing that, from beverage to software to food or whatever you name it. Uh, it's not in the interest of our co manufacturers to leak our recipes or to leak whatever to start with, right? Uh, because they would lose their tru- they lose their trust and they lose all of their clients because none of them want to have that cross risk. That's for one. So choosing the right partners is one. But obviously, mm-hmm. on our supply chain side, how do we protect? Uh, key components in a way that people don't have full visibility of how to put it together. Just like Coca-Cola is known to do, right? They split the bottling from the the, the zero and, and all that. That's a bit of how we take it.
0: I can totally see how you've approached it differently. Having had years of knowledge uh, working in global, in sort of the global landscape of food handling distribution and sort of seeing the end to end functioning of how food goes from manufacturing right down to how it shows up in a grocery store, or a restaurant, or in people's plates eventually. And I, and you know, and I've obviously talked to a lot of entrepreneurs in this space. Many of them maybe have not seen that full picture before they start their company, and they're perhaps very, um, I wouldn't say myopically necessarily, but like in a in a in a very uh, passionate way, only focused on product uh, and and developing the right product assuming the rest will eventually happen and and I think that's why they sometimes take longer because you know product is just one component of it but speaking of it it is a crucial component at the end of the day if the product isn't good um all your you know your your processes and your plans for skill won't really add up so let's talk about Tyndall, the the first product that you've put out uh it's a plant-based chicken as i understand it what tell me about the ingredients tell me why is it what makes it unique uh, from what exists in the marketplace right now, and and what was the thinking behind creating that that f- as your first product?
1: Cool. I mean, first of all, just a comment on what you said. Yes, it's 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 known to be the biggest mistakes for first time founders to be focused on the product or the technology and think that this is going to be widely accepted and received by the world and. And then they will realize that it's hard to scale, it's hard to produce, it's hard to make it, it's hard to make it big, and it's hard to even help people and be able to communicate that your great idea exists, right? Mm-hmm. So, luckily, um, in our team we're not first-time founders, and you know Timo himself was is a second-time founder. I have experience from global business doing that, and I have also started up companies before, so. Um, The experience that we brought uh, really gave us a lot of shortcuts in the sense of really understanding what the value is and what the value is not, right? And to your point, yes, absolutely right. Product is a key fundamental piece, but it's just a piece. It's not everything, right? And to that point, how have we approached Tindo? So we were solving for a few things. One is that we wanted Tindo to be a product that delivers what people love about chicken. That's number one. And we understood that there are three components to that love for chicken, right? And we freed up ourselves of trying to create a chicken with the feathers and the beaks and all that, because not everyone wants that in the bones, right? That's not, you don't really want everything about chicken. We don't want the cholesterol, we don't want the bones, You don't want the feathers. So we freed up ourselves a little bit on trying to recreate chicken exactly as it is as a bird, but we wanted to create the things that make people crave chicken as the food ingredient. And there are three elements. One is the fibrous aspect to it. So when you look you at it, you look at it, you see all the fibers, just like chicken, right? That's number one. A second one is that chicken taste, which actually comes from the chicken fat. And that's why it's some darker portion parts of the, of the chicken body, or the birds, um, they are juicier and, and they're better. Like wings or legs are usually better than, than, than chicken breasts, right? So that fattiness is something very important. We have recreated that. And then number three, equally important, is the versatility, right? So if it is a steak, a beef steak, you want it to bleed just nicely and just put salt and pepper and don't do anything else on it than that, right? That's a, it's almost a religion. When it comes to chicken, you want it to be spicy, different coatings, fried and curries, and, you know, I mean, I don't even know how it grills and, and you know, skewers or kebabs or whatever. So chicken is by nature innovative, versatile category. And we believe then that if we were to just sell nuggets or tender, we would not be solving for chicken. We would be solving for our chicken tender, or chicken nuggets, right? Nothing wrong with those. It's just that that's a smaller portion of the overall chicken category, and we wanted to go for the top. So solving for those three was the fundamental um, element of the product design. That's number one. Uh, second element to it was... Um, how can we, again, solve for being global quickly, right? And we we decided that our route would not to be a biotech, like, you know, heavily engineered food, which consumers are starting to backlash against. Um, and also some regulatory uh, barriers would form on the way uh, if it's another ingredient or whatever. So we have designed it to be simple, nine ingredients, no GMO. It can be sold anywhere around the world. It's nutritionally extremely similar to chicken. Obviously, obviously there's no cholesterol, but there is absolutely virtually the same amount of protein, calories, and fat as chicken. Um, And and we solved for products that can be scaled up globally without regulatory barriers and be accepted by consumers. So those are the two major components of the development, of the drive and the brief. And and from there, we just use our technology. We use our knowledge. We use our um, John, who is our CTO. He has over 20 years of experience in plant-based. In Europe, so only working with the highest level of uh, ingredients and regulatory uh, landscape, um, and we're able to put that together, and that's what everyone is loving around the world. And it's a a product that was developed with and for chefs, right? So we wanted on the versatility piece, chefs to be excited about it, Um, so consumers will have a great, a great experience, and that's how we developed it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and in terms of the ingredients itself, what what you mentioned, only nine ingredients, non-GMO. Uh, you've tried to keep that in mind, which which makes complete sense. If at this day and age, if you're de- developing a uh, quote-unquote food tech product or a plant-based meat and you're not factoring in the um, the most likely backlash you're going to get, which is, this is fake and this is bad for me, um, you obviously have, have missed a big, big uh, opportunity or a risk, actually. So, in your case... What are the ingredients? Is it soy-based? Having not tried the product myself, I'm, I'm going to have to rely on your description of it, but I'm looking forward to trying it. But what I've read and heard about it, it sounds like your product can is pretty versatile and it performs, uh, it's, it's not, you know, it has to be cooked and prepared in a certain way for it to be perform certain functions. So maybe you can tell us both the ingredients as well as what form factor it shows up in.
1: Yeah, starting with the form factor, um, we, again, when we decided to take that innovative route of not trying to mimic chicken in every single component, like the bones and the feathers, right, we actually uh, exploded that further, and we created what we call like a Play-Doh for chefs. Um, The chefs can take, it comes proportions, like just imagine like a patty or whatever shape it comes, it doesn't really matter, but it's just proportion for people to know what's the size of that specific portion, and it's usually something that restaurants use for a main meal, main dish, and then chefs would then mold it, season it, marinate it, coat it or not, and then they would grill, fry, and do whatever. So it's not a product like nuggets that you can just heat and eat. It's a product like raw chicken that you have to prepare it, put in some seasoning uh, or marination or brush it, and and then you can prepare in so many different ways. And we are seeing um, so much excitement around it, uh, around the world about that concept. And that's a result of us really um, taking a very innovative approach of freeing up ourselves from the notion that we needed to do. We needed to be limited by what a bird really is and we don't really need to. We can solve for the output, not for um, trying to be you know, just similar to to a bird. Um, and and we, we can actually be better by right on paper. And, and that's what we, we sold for. So the product comes in those proportions, it can be molded. And in terms of ingredients, I mean, we have it all very transparent in our website, but I can, I can quickly run through with you. So basically, it's water, soy, with gluten, with starch, uh, sunflower oil, natural flavoring, coconut oil, uh, cellulose and oat fiber, and that's it. All of it non-GMO, um, all of it very tasty, and, and it's a product that after you play as a pay and you hit it, it, it gets the right thing, the fibers are there, it's, it's almost like you're eating a, a full meat chicken experience.
0: That's very exciting. So you can almost, you can turn it into a, a fried chicken sandwich or even uh, use it in, in uh, you know, Chinese food. Oh, it has multiple yeah. applications is what you're saying, which is definitely a unique proposition.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, if you look at, I mean, if you, if you look at our Instagram, um, at Tindo Foods, we keep posting dishes from around the world. And it's really very cool for us because we keep learning about applications and things that chefs get their hands on in. And they, they, you know, from fried chicken waffles to, uh, you know, someone made a noodle out of the, out of, out of tingle. Like, you know, well, wow, this is molded, I can do that. <laughs> there was a chef in Dubai who did a flour. Um, he flattened it like a pastry, cut the pastry thing. And then he baked, it was like a flour. It's all on our Instagram and that's actually being served at the highest restaurant in the world at the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. So, you know, and then you have from, yeah, you have from, from wraps to, you know, standard chicken sandwiches fried and grilled and whatever. So that's very fascinating to us to keep learning and seeing everywhere we launch, we, we learn so much.
0: And your company was started in Singapore, which, um, as last time I checked, is not a big agricultural country or a place where typically food companies come out of. But that's starting to change uh, in the last few years. Where do you manufacture these products? Where, where are the ingredients sourced from? And and how does that factor into your plan to be global and scale? Uh, I'm sure you've thought through all of this in, in depth before launching.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the company's headquartered in Singapore, um, and I'm, I'm going to share more about what's happening in Singapore. As you said, it seems to be changing, and there's a lot happening around food tech. But being a global company from day one, one of the things we couldn't do is rely on Singapore as a main market for us, simply because of the fact that it's a very small, tiny island with five point Seven million inhabitants. Yeah, it's rich, it's extremely developed, it's uh, progressive, it's forward-looking, but it's small, right? So uh, we needed to solve for um, for being global since the beginning, and that's the reason why you know looking at being global and where are the main markets and knowing that the main markets are actually US and Europe, uh, we have decided to um, look for a footprint that would be able to solve for Europe and US um, that would allow us to serve in the beginning globally and then gradually explore and have different factories in, in, in different places. But we start in Europe, actually, not in Singapore, our factories in the Netherlands. Netherlands, by the way, it's another uh, food hub, if you will, um, doing innovation in, in in food tech for in agriculture in general, um, for, for decades, right, really being known for that. And then you're asking about Singapore, Singapore is becoming as well and driving to become a food tech hub. And and as you said correctly, it's not an agricultural the country. Again, they have no land, but this is something they're trying to change with the vision of becoming uh, what they call 30 by 30, which is 30% of the food to be produced locally, instead of, if I'm not mistaken, about 7%, like last year or so. And to do that, they will have to be very innovative in the way that they uh, produce food. For example, producing meat from plants instead of animals would make it possible. Um, But if you try to do animal farming in Singapore, that's absolutely not possible, right? And um, yeah, Singapore usually when it sets itself to do something, they accomplish. And that was the case for many sectors. If you look at it from port, airports, financial sector, technology, semiconductors, uh, manufacturing, all of that has been already, uh, you know, areas that Singapore has excelled in. and, And I think food is the next chapter for Singapore. And that's one of the reasons why we are based there. Not to mention its global nature. We have population and talents from around the world in Singapore. We have the best chefs. We have the best culinary scene. I mean, everything is there. It's a global city. It's a global financial center. The best VCs and all that. It's all there, and it's a good representation for global cities. Um, in terms of ingredients, we we, so, we source from from the best places. We can find what we want. For example, if we want to find non-GMO ingredients, uh, we will look for places where non-GMO ingredients are produced, and then we will go there and develop. Um, those suppliers to, to to comply with our standards, uh, you know, from taste to quality to everything, and, and and that could be from different countries. As we evolve, those things will be dynamic. Um, uh, ideally, as close as possible to the manufacturing facilities or to the market, and and that's how we see it. That's how we develop.
0: Super exciting! And Singapore, I I, I visited Singapore many years ago. I was pretty young back then, uh, but I remember the food. Uh, you can get whatever kind of food you want, and it's uh, and it's a it's a it's an interesting, very beautiful place, um, very well run. <laughs> and uh, you're right; it's a good hub to 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 think big and and tackle. And you know, because it's so small, I think they have a t- and, uh, they have a tendency to think globally too, which I think is an important factor, um, because you start you're looking right. beyond your borders. Uh, sometimes in America we tend to because it's such such a big country. We, we tend to not look beyond uh, the East and the West Coast. <laughs> um,
1: well, I mean, coming from Brazil and I'm from European families born and lived in Brazil for most of my life. I, I mean, those those continents and countries have being self-sufficient in the end of the day, right? And then you have a big enough market and you can be in-oriented and that, not, nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you are in America and that's actually the biggest market in the world um, and you are American and navigate well in America, why would you? And, you know, before you develop all the potential in America, think about expanding elsewhere. This is not um, it's not uncommon to see that. And it's understandable. But for us coming from Singapore, the last thing we could do is being a good domestic player. And and from the get-go, we needed to be global. Mm -hmm. And we have developed, instead of trying to make a local business and then growing and then expanding internationally, we developed a global business and then we expand. And that's that's the mantra behind our business model and how we planned. And COVID has forced us to go further on that route because we couldn't travel. We couldn't really go anywhere. We needed to reinvent ourselves in the way of operating and, uh, you know, remotely and, and being able to produce in, in Europe and selling in Singapore and in Hong Kong and, you know, Malaysia, UAE um, without leaving singapore um that has stretched our imaginations but we managed to do it
0: speaking of you know expansion and going global and america i know you're you're talking to me from the u.s right now uh because you are about to launch in in the biggest market in the world so tell me more about your u.s launch strategy what are you what are your plans and and what can when can when can listeners um, taste your products and eventually, um, you know, come learn more about what you're doing here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So right now we are in this phase of understanding more about the culinary scene here. We obviously already have products in the US, and we are connecting to restaurants, understanding what they do, their their story, uh, what is it that they're doing on plant based what are the developments, how we can connect to the chefs, to the communities, and for restaurateurs that our chefs that are willing to try and understand our product, we already have the ability to send them samples and get them um, with that. They can enter in our website, tino.com, and request for it. Um, that's something we're already doing on that exploratory phases of really in the space of understanding um, the culinary the gastronomic scene. Um, and then, you know, from there, we will evolve into building up the distribution network, uh, hopefully launching sometime early next year, uh, definitely within the first half
0: and you're as you said started only in early 2020 and so this has all happened really fast what are your um longer term goals with this company where do you see this um you know a few years down the line you're obviously moving pretty fast so i'm assuming you have some some big plans for scale within the next 2 to 3 years
1: absolutely so um for us nextgen foods the company behind thindo is not only a plant based chicken company and tindo is just our first organic movement Um, and what we're doing what we've done last year was to design that business model which is now allowing us to execute and scale the way we're growing so fast that's all designed in 2020 2021 is what we call kind of proof of concept right i mean will we be able to operate the way we design is pretty innovative does that really work can we really launch without traveling can we you know expand internationally can we do a global business from the get-go um Those were the elements. Will the brand work from Asia to the U.S.? What is the consumer reception going to be like? Will chefs love it from Singapore, from Hong Kong, from Japan, all the way to to the U.S., Middle East, Europe, and all that? So that's 2021. This is what we're going through right now. And very happy that all the signs are extremely positive and encouraging. Um, And then when it comes to our ambitions for next year and beyond, um, it would be about scaling Tinder globally. So we really want Tindou know, to be present in every single continent within the next two years, if you will. Um, and then from there, after that distribution network is established, we will definitely go into other categories and brands. And it could be anything: it could be fish, it could be seafood, it could be dairy, anything that involves a better, more sustainable way of producing food rather than using animals. Um, those are markets that we'll be always looking for. So yeah. So just in short. 2020 was to build it up, design the business model. 2021 is a bit of a test. 2022 is growth. 2023, again, growth. Let's say 2024 onwards, we're going to talk about new categories and expanding them globally as well through our network that we're building with Single.
0: Andre, this is super exciting. I'm going to close out with one last question, uh, a very forward-looking one. I close out every episode with this question to founders, which is, what is your vision for the food system in the year 2050? Uh, once you've been successful with all your plans with next gen, uh, what do you think the food system will look like back, uh, in the year 2050?
1: Uh, you can call me a skeptical. <laughs> you can call me not an optimist, but I don't think that animal farming will cease existence. Mm-hmm. I think animal farming will still be present. I would love not for that not to be the case, uh, but I do believe that there, uh, you know, the world is not a you know, black and white place. And and even if you think about the, tra- I like to, to make parallels to the transportation, energy, communication industry, but if you look at the transportation itself, um, while it's true that we're not using horses every day to, you know, here, uh, to go down the streets and go to the supermarket, where, as, as, as we would have done if the, we haven't invented cars and motorcycles back in the 1800s, late 1800s. Um, you can still find many places around the world that are actually using horses for that, be for leisure, um, be on more affluent places, be for necessity and need in, in less affluent places, or because the infrastructure is not there. So that still is still exists, right? So I would see that parallel being very true to to what we're doing in uh, in plant-based foods for the food system in general. Animal farming, from my point of view, will still exist. I would just hope that it becomes rather, you know, niche. Uh, instead of being the, the primary source of protein that most of us are having and then um, you know if that happens the world's going to be in a significantly better place and that's what we we work every day for how can we get consumers restaurants and and to really adopt much more sustainable um, food bases, if you will ingredients um, but also delivering not not by asking them to give up what they like but by uh, providing them with something better that's our mantra that's how we do it that's what we believe in and we're going to keep working tirelessly um, towards that goal
0: andre Benezes thank you so much for joining us on the eat for the planet podcast this has been a fascinating insight into what you're building and i i can't wait to follow your journey and see where it goes
1: thank you so much new
0: been listening to eat for the planet with nil zacharias if you enjoy this conversation and would like to show your support all you have to do is subscribe to this show and rate and review it to learn more about this podcast or my work go to eftp.co that's eftp.co thank you for listening